and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. You know, this weekend, it's just this cold and wet, you know, forgotten to have a spring day, which just leads one to wonder. How can you go outside when it's Grand Prix Day? Uh, yeah. Well, my pleather jumpsuit is at the cleaners, and I feel underdressed. Oh, that's understandable, then. She was being facetious, dear. Oh, I see. (laughs) I was staying inside for a different reason. Okay. I am belatedly celebrating Felipe Massa's 35th birthday. It was this past Thursday. Happy birthday, Massa. Okay, happy birthday. Because you have decided that you are all about Felipe Massa. Well, actually, I'm really about Felipe Massa's son, who is maybe the cutest kid that's ever walked. Filipino. Filipino. Yes. Yes. Which hopefully you have seen because it has been all over in the various social media sets. Uh, the full video of Daniel Ricardo and Felipe Massa's son, Filipino, having a race on the Massa family balcony. I'm assuming it's the Massa family balcony. I thought that was adorable. And don't just watch the itty-bitty little clip that they showed on NBC Sports coverage. You have to watch the whole thing. That includes a, a podium ceremony. Yeah, a podium ceremony. There was champagne. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's <laughs> worth it. <laughs> so, Filipino is, what, 9 or 10 now? Yeah, maybe about that. So, what do you think? Do you think we're going to see him enter the sport at the same age as Max Verstappen? I, you know, I don't think it quite that age, but I would be surprised if uh, he is not participating in some of the karting events. I mean, it's well, possible he's not because of the, um, the number of times he's at the track with Dad. Well, I mean, he kicked Ricardo's butt at the, in the karting event on the balcony. So yes. he obviously has got crazy skills. crazy cars event. <laughs> he's got skills. Yeah, but great start. Anyway, what I wanted to tell you about Masa's birthday mm-hmm. was that this past week in Sochi, they presented, they had a little cake and, you know, mm-hmm. the office party for him. Yeah. The cake had martini racing stripes on it and his number of course nine, it 19. Did. It was cute as it could be. Of course it did. Now, it did not, it was not weighed in terms of how many Masa's it, it weighed. Oh, they, Williams hasn't provided us with that information. No cake details. I don't know if it was chocolate or vanilla or if it was, you know, booze flavored or something. <laughs> I don't know. I just know that it was a cute little cake with his number and celebrated. And he's 35, which makes him one of the elder statesmen on the grid. Yeah. Hey, um, speaking of Daniel Ricardo, though, since we talked about, well, no, it was the Segway? race. Yes, okay. It was the race. Um, Daniel has come out and said that uh, he believes it is becoming increasingly likely that Red Bull will stick with Renault beyond 2016, given the improved level of performance that they've seen and how much promise that they are expecting from the Montreal upgrades. Or, conversely, you could read that as, we've burned all the bridges with everybody except Honda and nobody wants that shit. So, oh, you have to bleep me, don't you? I'm sorry. (laughs) Thanks. Appreciate that. (laughs) Nobody wants that. (laughs) So, yeah, we'll see how that develops because when you've got also this partnership with Aston Martin and where they wanted to go with Aston, that could totally throw a a monkey wrench in that. Or it could be... Backdoor them into getting a Mercedes. (laughs) Or it could, you know, be part of Horner's master plan. 
you know, I'm not so so much sure it would be Christian Horner's master plan as possibly Dietrich Manischetz or Helmut Marko's master plan. Somebody's got a master plan of something, and somebody is cackling like an evil genius. And apparently, part of that master plan now includes John Booth, formerly of the Manor Racing Team and the Marusha Racing Team, um, heading over to Toro Rosso now, technically as a consultant, but as a consultant filling the role of race director. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Try and sort that one out as to why you bring him, well, just you bring somebody from outside the team in to take over as race director at Toro Rosso and a well-established team. Now, the rumors that have been flying is that um, relationships between um, Max and Carlos have broken down. Mm. So they need a peacemaker? Yeah, that may be some of it that that John Booth is known for managing such situations rather well. And that may be what's going on. Now, why he needed to be put into the role of race director, I don't know. Unless that was just a way to make sure that he got to be on the pit wall and in the garage participating. It could be. There could be some nuance to making sure. But he is still labeled a consultant. He's not obviously full-time permanent possibly i i just i don't know Hmm. interesting now um monisha keltenborn your favorite team boss of all by favorite you mean distant 22nd favorite (laughs) but okay (laughs) well she says she is working through a plan to resolve the team's latest quote-unquote tough financial situation By tough, you mean strapped for cash, and she's searching the couch cushions. Well, she says, you know, it's tough like it's been before. You can't even compare it to the years before because every year has a different challenge. Yes, it is about finances, but it's always a bit different. This year, we could have carried over more on the car, but would it have been better? Possibly, because I'm not sure it could have been worse, but that's what she's saying. Um, We couldn't, so we had to cope after certain changes like the powertrain, because obviously we want the improved powertrain compared to last year. So it's a bit of a different challenge, but we are working on getting it right, and that is that. It's not easy. It's never been easy, but that doesn't mean you give up. Now, when um, asked further about if there are going to be any other issues with uh, at least this month's salary. She says everything should be okay. Even with the other ones, we were finally okay. It was just a question of timing. They were just slightly late, but we've never had a situation like others where we didn't pay them. It was a question of days. No big dramas, but yes, it shouldn't happen. So in other words, they floated a check. That's exactly what they did. Or they tried to float a check and then realized that they probably aren't allowed to float paychecks. Employees don't like it when you hand them a check and say, oh, by the way, don't cash this in for three days. So when she says um, that every year has been different and what her challenges have been every year. So there was that one year that she tried to put four butts in two seats. Yeah. And then there was that one year that she couldn't pay any of her bills for the majority of the year. Yeah, totally different challenges. And how many of those challenges are are of her own making? Yeah. 
Well, you know, she goes on to say, um, describing it as appalling, the quote-unquote made-up stories regarding her absence from the recent Bahrain Grand Prix. Because rumors surfaced in the paddock that Kelton Bourne opted not to attend as her team was on the brink of financial collapse and was set to miss the following race in China. Feeling the need to defend herself, Kelton Bourne told Autosport, I don't understand what was been and These are her words here. I don't understand what was been triggered simply by the fact I was not there. Other team principals don't attend. Sometimes their deputy team principals don't attend, and nobody is bothered. It seems to be a kind of hobby for some people who just pick up something and make up a story without any basis and just put it out there. It's actually, I would say, appalling to see what some people like to do. I don't know what they think they get out of this. The simple fact is I had meetings, which meant I would have spent just one day in Bahrain, so I decided not to go. What nonsense people come up with. Right. Yeah. Nonsense. You know, I've never seen a Grand Prix that didn't have Toto Wolf at it, or Christian Horner, or Eric Boulier. I, we don't know about Eric Boulier. It's possible he has missed some. I, I don't know. But we can say that, you know, Ron Dennis doesn't go to every single No, one. Ron Dennis does not go. VJ Malia doesn't go. I know well, that. <laughs> VJ Malia doesn't go because apparently his passport's been revoked and the Indian government are pushing the English government to deport him back to England over a few billion dollars that no, he's in deport him to india or excuse me deport him to india over a few billion dollars that he owes so yeah, okay that. so that might not have been my best example <laughs> no what i'm trying to say is that some of your big names okay claire williams seen it just about every f1 claire does but her dad does not her dad doesn't travel all that much. He's nine billion years old. I, I wouldn't say he doesn't travel that much. I mean, we have seen him in, I believe he was in Australia. He didn't necessarily go to uh, China or Bahrain or Russia, but he goes to a lot of the races. You see Sir Frank at a lot. Not all of them. Admittedly, not all of them. But to say he doesn't travel a lot, he does go to more than just the European races. True. I, I, so, I didn't mean that you know, to be that way. Um, I mean, perhaps he chooses what races he can go to based on their wheelchair ramps. And and that may be an issue Because not of every facilities. race has got, to have, has got ADA compliance. Yeah. That, so, that may be a, more of a bigger issue of, of a facilities thing. But we see Claire. Yes, absolutely. Because you wouldn't watch otherwise. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh-huh. So um, it should come as no surprise that word has come out of the Sauber camp that their finance issues are delaying car developments. Oh, wait a minute. Let me, let me process my shock. Okay, I'm done. Now, that being said, apparently they did have enough money to give Felipe Nasser a new chassis for this week's race, um, which from what we saw really hasn't helped a whole lot. It helped him but get a penalty. It did, and he came out and said that he really didn't understand why he got that penalty. He blames Jolien Palma for it. 
he says that, you know, you don't normally pass somebody on that side, and he wasn't expecting to see Jolene come around there, and he got out onto the marbles and lost traction, and he didn't hit Jolene. It was that Jolene was out on the marbles and lost traction and spun off the track, and that wasn't his fault. I'm not sure the video showed it that way. I was going to say. But that's what he that, says. That it does not jive with my memory of the video, but, you know, it was an incident-filled race today. So, rules. This was a big week. As a matter of fact, the deadline for rules to be resolved and settled for next year was Saturday the 30th. And, of course, they were resolved and settled on Saturday the 30th, correct? Well, let me get there. We, we got a bill to this. Uh. Um, first off, one of the things that we heard is that, and I haven't gotten a full decision on this yet, is that one of the things that are being discussed is the 100-kilogram fuel limit. Mm-hmm. Um, to get that lifted, specifically to ease concerns that the, the new regulations may not allow drivers to race flat out. So that, that was a topic for discussion. We don't know if that happened. The other thing is when it comes to the tires, and this is this kind of surprised me. We know that Pirelli got concessions to, to get, what was it, something like 25 days of testing. Um, there's a whole plan in place. But Paul Hembry came out this week, and he said that the tires for 2017, they're actually not going to get tested till next year. Interesting. So they're not the, – the tires that are anticipated to run for the year – will not be run until the winter test, whenever that is, because the winter test schedule has not been set up yet. But what he has said is initially they were hoping that uh, they would be able to test, uh, do a, a postseason test with the tires, but it does not sound like there will be a postseason test set up. Probably because they're still futzing over the rules and Paul doesn't know what tires to make. We think they're further along for that. Um, now, what he has said is that the first phase is working with some V8 cars up until the end of July, uh, where they'll be working on the current tire size and developing new concepts in terms of materials, the actual physical shape of the tires, and also the compounding. That's the first phase. Then they move on to the hybrid vehicle, as in the current generation. Um, based on the availability of the vehicle from the end of July, it's a very intensive program, he says. But plans for further testing after the season finale have been abandoned. There isn't going to be an end-of-season test this year. They were originally planning to be available in November to give the product to teams. It looks likely now the first time that Pirelli will actually uh, run with all the cards will be next year when they define the winter test plan. He says he knows that there's, a, uh, and this is Paul Hembry says, he knows there's a lot of discussion underway at the moment to decide where they'll go and when that's going to happen. So we'll see what happens here. Interesting. Fernando Alonso decided that he needed to comment on the rules. Okay. He says that F1 doesn't need much overtaking to be exciting. Okay. What's his logic? Well, what he says is that the close battles, that's really what it is. If the cars can be close to each other and they can fight for position, even if they're not actually gaining position, that's good enough. I have a feeling that, you know, he says that now, but when he finds himself constantly in that situation where he's fighting for a position and can't get it, he's going to be changing his tune. Okay, he's right and he's wrong. Are you ready for that? Yeah. Yes, the excitement is the battle. He is right. 
However, the reason the battle is exciting is because people are vying for position. Yeah. So you have to have the potential of having position change for the battle to be exciting. Exactly. Okay. So thank you for your non-comment, Mr. Fernando. So Tuesday was the F1 stra- or not the stra- the F1 commission meeting. Okay. On the rules. The proposed rules. And they did not get an agreement. But that was Tuesday. They had until yesterday. That was Tuesday. We heard that some of it was because there were some people who were not in attendance. We don't have the details on it, but there was not an agreement. However, Christian Horner came out around the same time and said that it's all Toto Wolf's fault. Toto was blocking he he was trying to protect Mercedes dominance and that he has not come up with workable solutions and that this is all Toto Wolf's fault. Okay. Word came out Friday, however, that there is an agreement in place. Woohoo! Yay! Can we stop talking about it now? No. <laughs> no. We, 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 let, let's talk about it. And this is specifically regarding the engines. Um, it's believed that the cost of the engine supply will be reduced by 1 million euros in 2016 compared to this year's prices. From 2018 to 2020, when the current bilateral agreements between uh, FOM and the teams expire, the price will drop by a further 3 million euros compared to 2017 prices. A principle of obligation to supply engines has ag- been agreed by all manufacturers. Okay. So in theory, we should not see red bull run into that situation how that's going to work we don't know you know does that mean a team can go mercedes i choose you (laughs) (laughs) it's like a bachelor ceremony yeah the bachelor yeah they give the rose rose. yeah who gets the rose i'm gonna give the rose to mercedes and if they turn me down i'm gonna give it to ferrari now and, and i don't completely understand this a price of 12 million euros for the power unit will be added to the 2017 sporting regulations as a fallback position only. Now, Autosport says this will be enforced if there is a breach of the rules and it has been put in place to ensure that all teams have access to a power unit. So I'm assuming that means that if somebody kills a contract or something partway through, I don't know. I, don't, I didn't quite understand the point of that. Okay. Now, regarding power unit convergence, it is believed the token system will be removed while there will be additional limits on weights, dimensions, and boost pressure from 2018. There, will also, there are also expected to be limitations on packaging in a bid to prevent an arms race. Measurements will be, measurement systems will be implemented by the FIA on an annual basis to ensure the targets are met. Uh, it is believed there will be a reduction in number of power units power unit parts per driver and per season, and a standardization of most of the pressure and temperature sensors in 2018. On the point of noise, there is understood to be a commitment from engine manufacturers to implement a standard power unit exhaust sound generator. Yeah. The target is to introduce this generator as soon as possible, but by 2018 at the very latest. Furthermore, it is believed the FIA has committed to all manufacturers that there will be stability on power unit technical and sporting regulations unless the championship finds itself in a very adverse situation or if power unit convergence is not achieved. In other words, if Mercedes continues to kick people's butts, they will change the rules yet again. Well, and that I'm not surprised by, and that I think is pretty stock and standard for Formula One. Yeah. But... 
can we go back to this power, this sound generator? Mm-hmm. So somebody thinks it's about the sound, even if it's fake. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're wrong. I mean, I get the sound makes a difference. I get that. I like the sound. But I want it to be real. Yeah. I don't want it to be not the, real. The, the problem is, is you have an engine that you are trying to be more efficient with. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you're trying to recover as much energy as possible and have as little wasted as possible. However, the sound, the noise you hear coming out of the exhaust is a sign of wasted energy, of lost energy. So if you're trying to recover that lost energy, the engine should get quieter. Right. And because sound is energy. I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. basic physics here. So... Now we're going to introduce an artificial bit of energy. I, I, I don't get it. I don't. Yeah. Now, um, we also understand that uh, there's been a commitment from the FIA to all teams to guarantee the stability of the current governance structure from next season through 2020. Now, that's not rules. That's the governance structure. Okay. So that keeps the World Motorsport Council, that keeps the Formula One strategy group, that keeps the the F1 Council in place. Yep. Um, So next step is this has to get ratified by World Motorsport. We'll see what happens. One of the big changes for 2017 is supposed to be some kind of cockpit head protection. And this week we saw Red Bull solution. Right, they which call it the arrow screen? Yeah, the arrow screen. Which you know, initially when when the the, uh, the season started and we saw the the halo from Ferrari, the the word was that people didn't think much was going to come out of Red Bull and Red Bull was not going to have anything workable. Um, they've already done collision testing and simulations with it, and. These aren't like put it on a computer, see what happens. They fired a tire at it at 140 miles an hour and it deflected it. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it appears to do its job as advertised. I think it definitely looks better than the Halo. Mm-hmm. But I think they need to run it a bit more. Truly, I think they need to see how it works. And, and I don't know how they're going to pull this off. They, they need to see how it works at, say, oh, Singapore yeah and, where they've and, got lights reflecting and things yeah like that. and the challenge there is I don't think any of the sessions with the exception of the race and qualifying run at night well there's that point too but also keep in mind and you mentioned this when we were t- earlier in mm-hmm. show prep we were talking about I like the look of the Red Bull arrow screen because it looks more like a window um, than the halo. It, it looks sleeker and it looks like it belongs as a part of the halo, which did truly look like something that was bolted in over there. Right. Um, however, you made a, I made a, mm-hmm. I made a flip comment about, um, that, you know, I, I don't necessarily like the idea of anything between the driver's helmet and the oncoming rushing air, you know, that that's mm-hmm. one of my issues. And, um, you said, well, I want, you said something about, I guess there won't be any tear-offs anymore, meaning the visor tear-offs. Right. And then I got to think, mm-hmm. with the arrow screen and knowing how often those drivers, you know, rip tear-offs off their visors because they got to keep sight lines, mm-hmm. are they going to move the tear-offs to the screen? I mean, 
that's what you're looking through. That's that's the plexi that you need to be seeing through. I, I don't know if they'll do that or you may end up seeing slower pit stops because one of the things that will happen is that windscreen will get scraped real quick. I mean, tear-offs m- might be an option. It's whether or not they can be s- large enough. Yeah, to handle what you need, but still stick securely and be able to be removed quickly. You know, that's one of the benefit of the tear-offs on the visor is that they're small so that there's not a lot of surface area and it's not as hard to, to yank them off. I don't know how that would work on a screen this large. So do you remember the, the video that I sent you about the the difference between the pit stops in 1950 and the pit yes. stops in 2003? Actually, that was 13? our friend Connie. Our friend Connie friend of the show um and um if you notice the last step in the fit pit stop of the 62 second fit pit stop in 1950 yes was them wiping down the windscreen you, you know you should share that over on uh, the facebook page so that other folks can see that um from the and it was a slow it, it compared an indianapolis 500 pit stop from the 50s with the 2013 pit stop at ferrari and it was a slow pit stop at ferrari that was over three seconds i counted it <laughs> it wasn't even you know it wasn't a red bull 2.8 or there that was a slow one <laughs> but the the indycar i mean it was only what three it guys IndyCar. it was it, a formula it one it was a formula one car because at the time at they just... used to be at indianapolis but there were like all of four guys in the pit lane. Pit lane was the side of the track. It's not separated because that's how it was back then. And the guy, they only changed two tires, and there was a guy with a hammer beating on the tire ball to get it off. Well, it, by at the time, sporting regulations only allowed four people to touch the mm-hmm. car during a pit stop, including the driver. Yeah. So that meant only three people could touch the car at any given time. So one guy was in charge of tires, one guy was in charge of fueling, and one guy was in charge of the jack. It was like a 62-second pit stop. It was a 62-second pit yeah. stop. It was wild. So back to current day. Mm-hmm. Um, since in-season development is now allowed, both Mercedes and Ferrari spent their first in-season development tokens on upgrades for the cars going into Russia. Ferrari introduced new engines, and Mercedes focused on the fuel system. Okay. The problem was, while Ferrari focused on the engines, um, well, actually, Seb's problem wasn't an engine problem. It was an electrical issue, um, and then they realized that his gearbox was busted. So that wasn't necessarily an engine issue, but he got a five-grid penalty because of that. Um, On Lewis's car... Well, that was an engine issue. Mm -hmm. And, of course, because they had to replace the engine, because you have to go like for like, and I didn't realize this, they had to also replace the fuel system that, you know, was upgraded. So the old fuel system was back in, I believe, Brackley in the U.K. (laughs) and had to get to Russia overnight. Mercedes chartered a special flight to get an older fuel system back in there so that Lewis could run. After the race... And I'm jumping a little bit ahead. Mm -hmm. But after the race, one of the comments that Lewis made, which you got to give the boy absolute credit for this one. He said that he honestly thanked the guys from his the team that flew all through the night to get that fuel system for his car so that he could even start the race in 10th. 
and he kind of felt like he had let them down a little bit because he didn't win the race. Oh, I, I, I thought he had to say this. Oh, for f- sake. <laughs> no, no, he he's notably this is Zen frust- Lewis. This is Zen Lewis. He's notably frustrated. There was actually a couple of comments in the post race coverage that are we seeing first cracks of, of the Zen Lewis, but. He's notably frustrated. However, I have to say that one of the things he did that is very different than the angry Lewis of the past was he went to his team and really called out the thank yous for what they did to get him on the track today. I mean, it was some of the sweetest words that he could have used to talk about the fact that they flew overnight. They worked until 2 o'clock in the morning to get that car back up and running. And all to make sure that he didn't lose a grid panel, grid spot. Any more. Any more grid spots. I mean, that's pretty phenomenal. You know, I got to kind of wonder if what they – we had gotten word after the engine had failed in China that um, they managed to salvage a good portion of it, enough that it could be used as a spare. That way he didn't lose off of his engine count. Mm-hmm. I gotta wonder which engine was in this car. Melbourne's. Okay, you know that for a fact. Yeah, I found I found the article. Okay, well there we go. Yeah, they reverted him all the way back to the Melbourne engine. So this week the Russian Grand Prix, mm-hmm. which means to start off with, we need to get our our track facts. So let's go ahead and do that. Let's look at an incomprehensible map of the race course, shall we? I can't make heads or tails out of it. You? Uh, no clue, but no doubt it'll be exciting. And I think it was. It was. It was a very interesting race. Do you want to go first? You want to go back and forth this time? Or are we going okay, to we them? can do that. Um, so one of the notable things about the Russian Grand Prix is that it occurred only 203 days after the last Russian Grand Prix. Which is one of the shortest gaps between uh, race events um, and is the shortest since the Chinese Grand Prix of 2008 and 2009, which were only 182 days apart. Well, most of my facts that come from Renault are tempered with the fact that this is just the third Russian Grand Prix ever. Okay. So some of our numbers are are a little skewed. You know, the lowest starting position for a winner which up until this year was Lewis Hamilton, was second. <laughs> the average starting position for the winner being that, and again, this was going into today's race, was 1.5. <laughs> it's easy to figure out where that one came from there. Um, highest G-force uh, at turn three for five seconds is 3.5 G, and 16% of the lap is spent braking. All right, Sochi Autodrome is a thousand miles away from Moscow. Mm-hmm. More times than I can count, did I hear that you know Russia was the largest country in the world? Just you know, and Max is the youngest driver on the grid, and water is wet. I mean, let's just go through those things. Okay, but there's a thousand miles between Sochi and Moscow, which is the equivalent distance between Silverstone and Monza. Yeah, I think we had talked about that too. Possibly. Okay, so there is a 50% chance of a safety car. <laughs> because there's been one at one of the two races? Yum. All right. Um, 
The number of winners from pole, do you have a guess as to how many that was? Going into this year's race. One. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the top speed is 330 kilometers per hour, and there are 63 gear changes per lap. Okay. Going on a distance, continuing distance facts about Sochi and Russia versus now our U.S. And this will appeal to our Cold War era fans. Those of us that remember what the Cold War was like, not our son. Um, Russia and the United States are less than four kilometers apart at their narrowest point. And that's between Siberia and Alaska. Mm -hmm. That there. is less than one lap of the Sochi Autodrome. I've been there. You could see Russia from your spot? Yes. Okay. So some, some numbers. Number me. One. That would be the number of times Russia has blasted the Olympic torch into space. Okay. Two. The Sochi Tennis School became the launching pad for the careers of many Russian tennis stars, including Maria Sharapova and Yevgeny Kafelnikov. Two hundred. The climate in Sochi is subtropical, and the city usually has 200 sunny days a year. And yet it was the home of the Winter Olympics. I'm getting to that. Bitter, not bitter. I'm getting to that. 5,642. That's the height in meters of Mount Elbrus, the highest mountain in the Caucasus, the mountain surrounding Sochi. And 1,100,000. More than 1.1 million tickets were sold for the 2014 Winter Olympics. Now, specifically about Sochi. Okay. Sochi stretches 90 miles along the Black Sea, making it the second longest city in the world. Want to take a guess as to what the longest one is? Hmm. Let's see. I'm guessing Mumbai. Mexico City. Oh, okay. All right, so Renault in Russia, they have had 12 starts. They haven't won. They have not gotten on the podium. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I should mention, this is a constructor and is an engine supplier. They have not gotten a pole. They have not gotten the fastest lap, but they did get 21 points. And trip down memory lane, November 2010, Russian President Vladimir Putin got behind the wheel of Renault F1 team's show car in a spectacular demonstration in St. Petersburg, Russia. <laughs> of course he got behind the wheel of a car. Would you expect did. otherwise? I would bet that if he has not done it, he's already got it lined up, that at some point he's going to be uh, working with a pit crew so that he can change tires. So, um, we mentioned that Sochi is subtropical, correct? Mm -hmm. If you want to look tough in the Russian winter, you cannot lower your ear flaps on your Yashenka, which is okay. the fur hat, mm -hmm. until the temperature drops below negative 20 degrees. Keep those ear flaps up, man. Otherwise, you're just a wimp. Yep. That's what they look at. By the way, there is video on the Williams Martini Racing Facebook page mm -hmm. of um, Massa being picked up at the airport and his chauffeur, one David Cothard. 
Oh, we'll have to see that. It has he has the card and everything, <laughs> and then there was dancing around it. And the comment was, "I struggle for words for this." <laughs> okay, so shall we move to the race? Yes, let's go racing. All right, we we just got to jump right in with the interesting developments in the first lap around turn two. Yes. If you have not seen the race, we apologize. If you have seen the race, you may have heard this, but we're going to share it anyway. This would be what um, Sebastian Vettel had to say immediately following the incident. Oh, I'm out. Crash. Somebody hit me in the rear turn two, and then somebody hit me in the rear again in turn three. For sake. Honestly, what the are we doing here? Now imagine what he had to say when he found out that two of those hits came from the same person. <laughs> and Daniel Kvyat, um, his reaction post-race, I don't think you've heard this yet. No. Yeah, this was actually talking to Will Buxton. Okay. Yeah, I understand. I think probably the whole paddock will want apology from me, but we will uh, speak uh, inside the team about these things and uh, uh, after analyzing everything. And, uh, and yeah, it's easy to talk now, uh, easy to attack me. Um, go on, attack me. No problem. Go. And by the way, that was a mic drop at that point because he walked away. Oh, right. <laughs> um, I was reading follow-up articles about the whole situation. And, yes... Daniel had come out and said it's easy to attack me and moved on with his life. Mm -hmm. um, at which point, um, both Kimmy and no, Ricardo and um, Vettel came out and said, Kvyat owes us an apology. Well, yeah. And it wasn't too shortly thereafter that Kvyat came out and apologized. Yeah. So, um, Maurizio Arriva Bene was talking about Seb's um, state of mind mm -hmm. after the incident. Um, as he said, um, he was not happy at all. He was going ballistic. Um, he's taken a uh, DNF for a second time this season for something that has nothing to do with him. This is the character of a guy who is a four-time world champion who wants to win, so it's understandable. Afterwards, we talked, and he was a bit more calm, but of, co of course, calm does not mean happy. Arriva Bene added that while he had not blamed Kvyat for what happened at the first corner of the Chinese Grand Prix two weeks earlier, there was no excuse for what the Red Bull driver did this time. Last time in China, I was not complaining about Kvyat, and I said he has done his job, said Arriva Bene. This time, I can't find any reason for what has happened. If we look at the images, it is quite clear. Sebastian said to me that he, Kvia, touched him one time in the beginning, just a bit, then the second time quite hard. This was Vettel's second sc score of zero in four races this season because you know, he couldn't start in Bahrain either. Right. Now, Lewis w was asked about this, I believe, at the interview about the incident mm -hmm. and said that basically um, he saw Seb coming up alongside of him. Then he heard this loud bang and Seb was gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, that promotes some other drama that happened in the foray of the first uh, set of corners. Mm -hmm. At some point in all of the post-race interviews... Lewis comes out and he says that he purposely straight line turn two 
because he could see the melee that was happening in front of him. He yeah. that was the he, way he, he stayed went out. Wide. He purposely sh- and what he said was a purposely straight lined. The thing actually, what he said was he saw what was going on and said, "Screw this," <laughs> and he went straight. But he went to the left of the bollard, mm-hmm. which is the regulation that was <laughs> After required. Being in trouble the day before. After that, and he stayed, you know, to the good side of Charlie Whiting. The comments on that from, oh, you know, armchair F1 people, the comments to that story ranged all over the place about the fact that that baller didn't actually penalize somebody for running wide, that you could straight line Mm -hmm. that because, you know, he came out of that entire melee in fifth. He had, he was ninth going in and fifth coming out, but everybody in that corner that didn't keep going, the four people he just passed all were being hit. Yeah. So I don't see where their logic really is. You know, it's no different because one of the other tracks that has, we've seen something similar implemented at two other tracks. Um, Singapore has it Mm -hmm. for for one of their runoffs. And essentially Monza has it at the chicane at turn one. You can bail out of that chicane, but there's a, a weave that you have to do in order to rejoin a track. It would be no different than turning around and recognizing in Monza that, all hell has broken loose in the chicane and saying, I'm better off taking a weave and avoiding all of this. And right. I'll take whatever penalty I get time-wise to keep my race going. Well, and that's exactly what Lewis made the conscious decision of mm-hmm. is I have a choice. And he said it himself. He said, if I didn't straight line that corner, I would have wound up in Riken. Yeah. So, I mean, it was definitely prevention was the better part of valor there. But yet another added piece of drama to that second corner hiccups. So to go back to your comment about apologizing. Yes. One of the the things that we saw in the coverage, and we did not hear anything at least during the race about it, was Sebastian Vettel made an appearance at the Red Bull pit wall. Yes, he did. Um, And there was some back padding that was happening between him and Christian Horner. Mm-hmm. Well, Christian Horner came out and, and commented on what we saw. Um, he said, um, this, these are Christian's words. He said hello and made his thoughts well known. <laughs> All I could do was apologize to him. It's cost us a lot of points and unfortunately compromised Sebastian as well. But he's a young guy. He'll learn from it, and I'm sure he'll come back strong in Barcelona. He said Kvyat accepts he made a mistake. Now, as for the young guy thing, I don't know exactly who Christian's Kvyat. talking about. Kvyat. Um, but Horner said Kvyat accepts he made a mistake. He has apologized to the team, and I think he's apologized to Sebastian. If he's not seen him in person, I'm sure he'll do it next time he sees them. So, uh, yeah. What a mess. That, that was definitely an odd sight, seeing... Sebastian over at the Red Bull pit wall <laughs> really would have loved to have overheard that conversation. That would have been one for the mics. Yeah. Now we already talked about um, Carlos Saints and his his penalty. What he had to say, because I was trying to paraphrase earlier. At the exit of turn two, if you want to pass, you have to go th- go on to the exit of turn three. But he decided to go around the outside through turn three, and I was never expecting him. 
I was looking in my left mirror to see him. Then suddenly he loses the car in a dirty part of the exit of turn two. Then I realized there was someone on my left and we touched. Because of this touch, first he loses the car, then he goes wide. And then I think the stewards thought I forced him off the track. To get a 10-second penalty for this kind of accident for me is a bit like you cannot even race anymore. I didn't even see him. He just lost the car a bit by himself by wheel spin on the dirty side. I'm not sure I agree with him. I don't think that's what I saw, but and and the challenge was we watched the NBC coverage this week for for the race because of the timing, and of course NBC was in commercial when this happened. Of course. So we had to try and figure out what the hell was going on in that little postage stamp screen. Yeah. Thanks, NBC. <laughs> so let's talk about the win. Okay. Number seven for Nico Rosberg. Yes, it is. Not only that, but to, to really make this interesting. So going into this weekend, Nico was running a streak of six races, in a row, obviously, for this to be number seven. But those six races, just those alone, and he's won more than that, that was more than his father KK won in his entire Formula One career. And KK is a world champion. Is he? Yes. Now, the seasons were shorter then, too. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. That could have had an impact as well. But we also know that you can be, if as long as you are consistent on a podium. Yeah. Depending on what's going on with the rest of the race, you don't always have to win. But if you're consistently second or third, mm-hmm. and the the first guy is you know constantly rotating in and out, you could actually do better in the points than that person. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, we already talked about Lewis and his power issues, which, you know, Lewis has been saying, and it's a very valid point. All the testing that they did, something like 800-some-odd kilometers of testing, the Mm -hmm. car was completely bulletproof, and now they're having issues? Right. Something is really wrong. I have a theory that's based in absolutely nothing. Okay. My theory—let me try that in English— my theory is that whatever they did to modify and upgrade the car between Bahrain and China, which is where he had his first big failure, mm-hmm. um, whatever that was, that there was a flaw in it. Now, that should have been a clutch issue. Right. And, and I it think- looked like their starts were much better this week. <laughs> yes, the starts seem to be better as far as a clutch issue goes. But I think that that has enhanced some other inherent flaw and keep in mind every part of these cars are handmade yeah so toto says that anybody that's conspiracy conspiracy theorist um thinking that the garage is favoring nico over hamilton is a lunatic yes and that was his direct quote that was my last story ah (laughs) you're you're welcome but keep in mind that things are made are handmade so my theory is that the reason that he's got these problems and then the car went from bulletproof is that in an evolution, something has been tweaked. There's a burr somewhere. There's a something that's out of a line. And they haven't quite found it yet. But That's my theory. Admittedly, the string happening like this to just one car, Mm -hmm. the number of Mercedes engines that are out there, and by the way, the upgrades that went to the fuel system went to all the Mercedes teams. It didn't just go to the works team. Okay. 
the number of Mercedes cars that are out there to only have this happen on just one car and essentially one engine going into one car seems awfully odd. Yes, we know Nico had his own string of horrid luck Mm -hmm. back in 2014. But it wasn't nearly – I mean, just in the first four races of the season, we had – an MGUH problem for Lewis in qualifying both the Chinese and Russian Grand Prix, the water pressure issue, the engine going. Um, yeah, it just seems odd. Well, I, I yes, it seems odd. And yes, it's rife for conspiracy theorists to say that Mercedes decided this was Nico's year. But I'm willing to bet that the difference is that Lewis has got some setup that is a little more unique to him that is exploiting something that is not the same. And what they need to do is they need to break down because there's a wall between the two sides of the garage. They need if they want to try to figure out what's going on with Lewis, what they need to be doing is going what's different between Lewis and Nico and then start looking down that list. Yeah, now, you know, keep in mind, though, they, they both like the cars set up differently. They do, and, that and that's why I'm saying yeah. that there is, th- that explains why th- you may have a rash of problems with one car. If there is something so minute that is off in, and it could be strictly of an error of a, you know, a micromillimeter in one thing. I mean, these cars yeah. are so delicate in that manner and i think that we just can't it's not like we're going down to the the ford lot and it's <laughs> you know did you pick the red one or the blue one well the red one's got is the lemon and the blue one's not he's got himself something is there's an issue and they're gonna have to keep picking away at what's different what's wrong to solve that and nico's gone through this and lewis benefited from it yeah and we are four races in and this season and you know what chaps my bottom about the whole thing now granted i'm biased i'm a bit of a lewis fan (laughs) but what chaps me is and they did this they fickly did this to lewis last year oh well he's won the won the first four races of the season he's obviously going to be the world champion our commentators are doing this yeah we have 17 more races to go why would you be calling i mean that's like but admittedly one thing you've got to admit is that Every single win that Nico gets makes it harder for Lewis. It does. And and that does need to be acknowledged. It makes it harder, and I'm not saying that it doesn't. Harder doesn't make it impossible. Mm-hmm. It also doesn't mean that the next engine upgrade that comes through, that Nico's not going to get the lemon engine and lose four races. You know, two DNFs, and Lewis is back in the game again. It doesn't take a whole lot. And just looking at general stats, it's not unlikely that Mercedes will have two DNFs on that side of the garage. So I'm not worried, and I'm a little getting tired of everybody going gloom and doom. I'm with Toto. I stand with Toto. Well, let's hear what Toto... Let's talk about what Toto had to say, his his comments. I don't have the audio for it, but I've got some quotes from him. He says, I want to ignore this bunch of lunatics who think we would want to harm a driver who is our driver and who has been a double world champion for us. He hasn't let us down, and we wouldn't let him down. This is a mechanical sport, and these things happen. We are pushing the limits on the chassis and on the engine side a lot in order to have a competitive car. 
This is why we are winning races, but also if you push the limits at a certain stage, you find them. I think it is very difficult to take people seriously out there who are lying in their bed with a laptop on their chest and just sending out abusive messages. I stand with Toto. The big thing here, I think the biggest debunk piece to the conspiracy theory is Nico's contract is up this year. If they were going to sabotage somebody, Mm -hmm. knowing that a contract was up this year, it'd be Nico. Because you don't want him doing well. Because if he's doing well, if he's in the lead, they have to pay him more. It gives Nico a stronger negotiating position if he's in the lead for a world championship, if he's winning all these races, if he's doing this well, it gives him more power to negotiate for more money. Well, there would be that, but... And the bonuses and everything else that he gets is a part of doing this. Now, do not ever allow facts to interfere with your conspiracy theory. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, should also mention, we got to see as part of the Sky Sports pre-qualifying coverage... Um, Teddy Kravitz went out to Azerbaijan, to Baku, Azerbaijan. He actually made the trip in January, but they aired the video this past weekend Mm -hmm. of the circuit. Yes. Ted described the circuit as bonkers. Particularly turn seven, eight, nine. He may be right. This is going to be... It's a street circuit. It is a true street circuit. That that's the the thing that struck me as they showed this, and we'll talk about why in a second. But this was a street circuit that, at least from what they have shown, will probably very much look and feel on TV and, and on track as a street circuit, as opposed to say Montreal or Melbourne or even to a lesser extent Singapore, which are all street circuits, but because there there are some larger runoff areas, because the, it is not nearly as developed, the buildings are not alongside the side of the track, they don't necessarily feel like street circuits. The Baku circuit, just like Monaco, is right in between the buildings. This is going to be tight. So the bonkers corners of 7, 8, and 9 that he was discussing, which... I will describe for just a moment. And the prep involved involves temporarily covering and then asphalting the original cobblestone streets. Mm-hmm. There, the narrowest point of the track is seven meters wide, and it that track will involve some concrete um, and steel plating to protect. The old, the twelfth century castle wall that's on your left, and at they, the apex of the turn, at the apex of the turn, and they are removing a a curb and sidewalk so that they can get the extra half a meter to make it seven meters wide, and they're going to have to put a concrete barrier across the storefront of yeah whatever the, the building is, is that's across the street, the street from the wall. Um, yeah, that uh, oh. And it's uphill. Yes. And it's all uphill. Now, the best part about this comment was, 
Well, this will be seven meters wide, which is admittedly very narrow, except the, the average um, F1 car is a meter and a half wide. So you could technically get to two cars side by side through this turn. I don't think anybody's going to be that suicidal. I hope not. <laughs> now, as tight as that area is in a couple of other areas, there's going to be a good mile to and a mile and a half long straight, actually two of them, because they run on the same street going in opposite directions. Yeah. Um, but there is going to be a good long straight for them to go tearing down to. So there so, will be that part. I think it will be very interesting to watch them wave at each other as they're going down the straight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because basically the only thing that's going to that, that's going to separate the two directions of traffic is a barrier. It's not like there's a long strip of land or anything like that. No, it'll be a catch fence. Yeah. That's it. You know, they they could put jousting sticks on top of the F1 cars, and they could joust down that. No, that's what one of the feeder races does before. Oh, okay. Or, I'm sorry, it's after, because they don't want to have an, an incident that damages the fences before the F1 cars race. So it's so going to be afterwards. Uh, the jousting those, portion yeah. will be after. Yeah. So, yeah, I was kind of lukewarm at the idea of a race in Azerbaijan. I still kind of am. But if this track comes out the way it's looking like it, it could actually be pretty cool. It would be very interesting be very to cool. see. I'm anxious for turn seven, personally. Yeah, that, that could be very interesting. Hopefully, it will get better TV coverage than this week's race. Because... It was really kind of hard to follow in the beginning. Um, yeah, apparently the person that was running the camera work and the editing um, had had a few drinks with David Hobbs before the <laughs> before the event. There were just some weird cuts to odd areas, and it didn't seem like we could hold anything going for any period of time. I don't know what was going on there. I, I was not a big fan of the producer this week. No, he he was he was kicking it back with uh, David Hobbs. Well, you know, that is like all we've got for this week. So on that note, should we uh, tell people to leave comments on Facebook and give us reviews on iTunes and Stitcher? Yes, and on that, we'll cue Barbie. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.